We've been, wow, going to be one of those days, Mike. Mike and I were talking yesterday about how long the week was and uh, working in the heat. And uh, my brain is already questionable. So you add that to it and we're in trouble. Um, Every April, the end of April, as the uh, cold begins to dispel and the grass starts to green and the birds return and it begins to warm up and the days lengthen and the white-throated sparrow gets back and starts its song, which you can go look it up uh, if you're wondering what I'm talking about. You'll recognize it when you look it up because it gets back and it's a very prominent song. And April begins to turn into May, and as that heat shows up, the black flies also show up, and that joy of spring, the feeling of spring, and black flies. There's a reason I'm saying and black flies. Because when that begins to happen, I can't help it. My brain goes somewhere, and... I'm like a salmon. I have to migrate to a very specific place. And I have to put a long, well, sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short, pole in my hand. And it has a line attached to it. And there's a hook or a fly, depending on how I feel. And I'm called to the trout stream. And I have the itch in the springtime, to hear trout frying (laughs) in a fry pan. Lots of butter, some cornmeal, maybe a little Cajun spice. Sorry, I'm making you hungry. There's nothing like those six to eight inch trout in a fry pan, freshly cooked, right by the stream, almost still wiggling as you eat them. I mean, it's that good. You say, Tim, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it's just a great thought. But it goes with this passage. Generationally, when I go to the trout stream, it's in in the headwaters of of the of the Miramichi River. It's the southwest branch of the Miramichi. It's on the divide between the Miramichi watershed and the St. John watershed in New Brunswick is where I'm talking about. And those, the divide, there's a, there's a big ridge there and the water flows both ways. And some of it goes down to the St. John River, some goes to the Miramichi. And it's the headwaters and it's beautiful crystal clear springs, gravel bottoms. So it's a great place for trout to, to reproduce and salmon. But Generationally, my father, and it would be my mother's cousin, I don't want to get too, too deep on you here, but started a fishing trip about 60 some odd years ago now. And they began up in those headwaters, my, my, it would have been my mother's cousin, used to cut wood there, back, way back, horses. And he found all these streams and all these great places to fish. And so he took my father there, and they fished, and they would go. 
And then when my brother was born, he took my brother there, and then I was the youngest, and I begged and pleaded and pleaded and begged when I was tiny, and finally I got to go on this fishing trip. And I fished there, and then when my nephew got old enough, I took my nephew with me when he was five or six years old, and we would spend three days up there, and we would fish together as a family. And now my great-nephews go with us fishing. This year, my great-nephews, they're all small and tiny, and I forgot what it was like lugging little kids. (laughs) And my son went with me when he was little, and now we've moved on to my great-nephews, and they go with me as well. And we go on this three-day fishing trip. And we instill, my son has the same bite in his life that I have, the same calling that happens in the spring, and he gets all starry-eyed in April, and he goes, Dad, I can't wait to go, right? It's generational. It's happened now for 60 years. Five generations have been part of that and are part of that. And we pass that on from one generation to the next. And part of it is the stories that go with it, the food that's eaten and the bears that are seen along the the brook when you're fishing and, and all of the events, the falling over into the deep hole and losing things and, and all of the events that go with that are part of the generational story that's passed on from one generation to the other that gives a desire to be part and to belong. And the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning in Hebrews chapter 11 is a picture of this generational passing on of the truth, the promise of God. Now, it's a greater pass on than my passing on a desire to go fishing. As great as that is and as wonderful as as that is, what we're going to talk about this morning is far deeper than that because it's a promise of God, a covenant that was made by God with Abraham And it was passed on from generation to generation to generation. We're going to talk about four different generations this morning in just a few verses. But it's a promise and a covenant that was made by God to Abraham. And he said, look, I'm going to make this this covenant with my people. And you're going to start this whole thing. And you're going to pass this promise on. And you're going to keep this promise going. And look. Remember last week we talked about Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 and we said this, that they saw in the distance something that was going to happen, a promise, a covenant that was made and they never, they didn't get to realize it. They knew it was coming. They saw way off that God promised this was going to happen, but they didn't get to experience it, but they knew it. They knew God was going to do it. And generationally, they kept passing it on, passing it on, passing it on. And so we ended last week by saying, look in the distance as believers and see what God's promise is to us and reach for it, stay with it, keep with it, stay with the promise. And this morning, I want to explain that a little bit more of what that looked like for these individuals. You see, these people we're going to talk about, they, they were human just like us. And last week we talked about this fact that in their humanity they failed. And you're going to see these names and every one of them failed in some way. They all, like us, like you, like me, they all struggled with sin in some way in their life. And yet they kept their eyes on the promise the covenant that God had made with them and what it would do for their family and for the generations to come. 
And these individuals that we're going to talk about, in one way or another, staked their lives, complete faith on the promise of God. We'll see this in their actions, and we're going to see it in their words, and we're going to see that they stuck with it till their death. Remember last week we said this, every one of us are going to die. It's going to happen to all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment, all of us are guaranteed that. And all of these people, they all knew the covenant and the promise of God and they stuck with it. They staked their life on it. They had faith in the covenant of God all the way up to their death. Even though they didn't experience all of the promise of God, they still stuck with it and they passed it on to the next generation. And they said, God said this was going to happen. You keep watching. You keep your eyes on it because God's going to do this. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to to follow along. If you have your Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen. Starting at verse 17, it says this. By faith, Abram, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of of Joseph. And he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Notice the staff there. He didn't stop his travel. He wasn't done yet. He still was on in motion, still hoping for the promise to be complete. Leaning on his staff, he blesses Joseph and his sons. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Four generations. All looking ahead to the promise and the covenant of God all looking at the guarantee that God said, I will make you a great nation. This promise of God was found for Abraham in his call back in Genesis chapter 12. Let me go back. You've heard this before, but let me remind you of the call of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three say it this way. And the Lord said to Abraham, go from your land and from your relatives to your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make unto you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse everyone who treats you with contempt and all the people of the earth will be blessed by you. God came to Abram and he said this, look, I have a covenant, I have a promise that I'm going to make with you. And I'm going to use you to make a great nation. It's going to be my people. And I'm going to bless everyone who you touch and everyone who blesses you and everyone who comes near you. You are going to be a blessing to them. And you remember the story that Mike was sharing with us two weeks ago. And he shared with us the whole fact that Abraham and Sarah were old. They're in their old age and this hadn't come true yet. They didn't have any children yet that were the blessing of God. And finally, Isaac is born. And the promise is going to come true. Abraham is going to... Now, and Mike was talking about this, that one child wasn't a great nation. He didn't see a great nation. All There's one child is born. That's it. She didn't even have twins. Not even triplets. I mean, at least that's a start. One child. That's it. And here's the thing with the promise of God 
as that one child grew, if you look at Genesis chapter 22, you find this, that God comes to Abraham and he says, remember the covenant I made? Remember the promise that I made? Well, that promise is going to require something of you. I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son. And I want you to take him up and I want you to build an altar to me. And I want you to give your son, the son that I've blessed you with, back to me. Now, in my mind, that's confusing. I don't know about you. And maybe you're more spiritual than I am, and so you've got it all figured out. But to me, that's pretty confusing. God is not a God who asks for human sacrifices. That's not who he is. God is the author of life. And so for Abraham, I'm sure this is a very confusing event that God says, look, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I give you this son, Isaac. And then Isaac's a young man at this point. This, we're not talking a little baby. We're not talking even a toddler. He's a young man at this point. And he looks at Abraham and he says, look, I want you to take this young man, this son that I gave you, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. And I love the phrase that's in this. If you look at those verses, it says this, that Abraham knew that God could even raise him from the dead. This is the depth of his faith in God. And I want to stop here for a minute. I want to spend just a minute. I want to talk to you about your own faith and where you are in your life. See, God asks us to make sacrifices to him as well. Say, hold it, Tim. Hold it. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. I come to faith in God. I come to a relationship with God. I become a child of God by putting my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that is correct, 100%. That's true. You get to heaven and you have eternal life and you have a relationship with God through the sacrificial sacrifice of of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and I. His shed blood is, is the payment for our sin. That is complete. That was 100%. That's how you get to God. But when we come to God, God will ask of us as Christ followers if he has all of us or not. And often, if we're truthful, there are things in our life that we actually hold dearer or more dear, (laughs) say that correctly, than God. You say, Tim, how do you know that? I know it because that's where our energy, that's where our effort, that's where our spare time, that's where all of that goes is toward whatever that is that we find more important than God. And God will come to us as Christ followers at time and he'll lift that up to us in our heart, in our mind, and he'll say, hey, what about that? Is that more important than me? And for Abraham, he looks at Abraham and he says, look, I gave you this son, but is that son that I gave you more important than me? And he wanted Abraham to come to the place where he put complete faith, complete trust. God, you've got this. 
Isaac is yours, I'm yours, and whatever it is that you want to do, you do it and you do it your way. Is he doing that in your heart and your life right now? Are there things that have your attention and your heart and your mind and God is asking you, hey, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's something that's fun, but it consumes all of you and God's going, hey, are you willing to sacrifice that for me? Are you willing to to put that on the altar and give it up for me? That's what he was doing with Abraham. Another thought that goes along with that is this. Look, the longer you walk with God and the closer you get to God, the deeper the tests become. Let me say that again. The longer that you walk with God and the closer you get to God, the deeper the tests become. See, becoming a Christ follower is to become like Christ. We are his image bearers. And the longer we walk with him, the more like him we need to become. And the more like him we become, the deeper into our being Christ reaches. And he grabs things that have a hold of our heart that we didn't even realize had a hold of our hearts. But he reaches down by his spirit and he grabs a hold of those things and he tickles those and he brings them up and he says, hey, does this have you more than I do? And when you uncover one of them, he goes to the next level. What about this? What about this? Hey, believer, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you allowing God to test you in that way? Are you just being a surface Christian? You're just like, hey, I got, I, got, I got the insurance. I'm going to heaven. I'm in. I'm in. God, we're good. Are you asking him to go deep? To test your heart, to see where you are with God? God does this with us. I love it. Abram's reply was, look, God, if you take my son, you'll raise him from the dead. I trust you. I trust you. You've got this. The next, the middle next verses there, I'm going to skip them, but I want you to realize this, that by faith, Abraham blessed Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed his two sons, Jacob and Esau. By the way, if you read the story of Jacob and Esau, they were a mess. Look it up. Read how they lived their life. They were a mess. But by faith, Jacob still trusting God, blessed Joseph, one of his sons. And Joseph, at the end of his life, and I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at Joseph for a few minutes, because at the end of Joseph's life, Joseph grabs his brothers together. Now, you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers, right? You remember that Joseph, Jacob, again, remember I told you, Jacob was messed up. And Jacob made it very clear to all the brothers that he loved Joseph more than everybody else. You don't do that as a parent. You might love one kid more than the other, but don't tell them. I mean, it's, it's wrong. You don't do that. And, and Jacob did. He took the kids and he, he let them all know. I mean, he blew it. 
right? And then he made a coat that was special. So it wasn't just that he told them, he put a coat on them and said, every time you see this, you know I love this one more. Don't do it. It's not smart. But that's what Jacob did, right? And you remember the, the brothers got mad and they, he's daddy's favorite. That was the whole thing. And then they saw him coming across the, the desert one day and they could see the coat and they were ticked off and he came and they're like, let's kill him. And one of them's like, no, let's not do that. So they sold him into Egypt. You remember the story? When he's down in Egypt, God uses him in a miraculous light. Now, it was God's plan to have him in Egypt because God was using Joseph to save his people like he was keeping his promise. It's an amazing thing about God. He makes a promise and he keeps it. But Joseph takes his brothers at the end of this, and we're going to unpack this for just a minute, but he takes his brothers at the end of it, and he shows them the mercy and the grace of God while he's in Egypt. Let me, let me help you understand this just a little bit better. Joseph, the fourth generation that we're talking about. So remember this. This isn't a one-time event with, with Abraham. He's not saying, Abraham, you, you follow me. You make the sacrifice and I'll keep the promise. He, he hands it down generationally. Four generations later, we run into Joseph. Now, this was a promise that he made to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15. Let me give it to you. Verses 13 to 16. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know this for certain. Your offspring, the people that are going to come from you, will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them. Stop. Way back. Isaac's not even born yet, by the way. When this happens in Genesis 15, Isaac's not born yet. God looks ahead and four generations, way out. Remember in the distance, remember verse 13? They looked in the distance and they saw that God was, had a promise. He was going to keep his word and they stayed on course. Genesis 15, God shows up to Abram and he says, look, you know that great nation that I haven't made and I haven't even given you a son yet? That great nation they're going to be strangers and foreigners in a year for 400 years, and they're going to be under oppression, and I'm going to save them. I'm going to provide somebody who's going to come along, and he's going to point them in the direction that they ought to go, and I will make a way for them to be saved. That's my promise to you. Joseph, in Egypt. How long do you think the Israelites were in Egypt? Yeah, you got it. Some of you are with me. 400 years. It was the promise of God. Now, Joseph comes to the end of his life and verses in, in Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25, it's the same words that are found in Hebrews chapter 11 that we just read. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land that he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made his sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, he made a promise to Abraham. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Did Joseph stake his life on what God had promised way back to Abraham? You want to bet he did. 
when Joseph had all of the things that happened to him in the land of Egypt, from being in a pit to get to the land of Egypt, to be thrown in a prison, accused of things that he didn't even do, to be misunderstood, all of the things that happened to him, he kept looking in the distance and saying, God has made a promise and he will keep his word. Believer, you're sitting here this morning and there are things in your life that are going crazy that you don't understand. There are things in your families that are happening and you go, God, why? There are things with your health that are happening and you're going, God, why? Why does this happen to me? I want you to remember God has made a promise to you. He's promised to be your Lord. He's promised to be your master. He's promised to offer you the grace and the mercy that you would need to get through this day. He has promised to give you the ability to point your friends and your family toward a savior, Jesus Christ. He has promised to provide, he says it this way, my God shall provide, you say it, all of your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. The promise to us is that God says, look, I have everything that you need. It's at my disposal. And as my child, I'll give it to you. Keep looking in the distance. Keep your eyes on me. Same thing, four generations looking ahead. Here's the promise of God to us. And we end Joseph's life. And Joseph is like, I'm about to die. I haven't seen the nation of Israel saved yet. We haven't got out of here yet. But boys... When we do, when we do, when God does what he promised, grab my bones and take them. I don't want to be left. Take me. It's an awesome thought. And believer, we can say the same thing this morning. Look, God has promised us a home. He's told you as a Christ follower that you belong. You're part of the family. You have a place. Keep your eyes on the promise. Keep your eyes on Christ. As I was thinking about this week and it was going through my head, a couple of verses kept coming to mind. One was this. My walk of faith is not about me. 2 Timothy 2.2, which is one of my life verses as a pastor. It's something that grabbed my attention as a young pastor. And it kept going through my head and it resonates in my mind. And it says this, what you have heard from me, this is Paul talking to Timothy, in front of many witnesses, commit those to faithful men who will teach others also. He says this, look, the things that you have learned. And for me, I had guys who spoke into my life and they spoke truth and they spoke the principles of the word of God in my life. And the things that I learned from them, the things that I learned about Jesus Christ, the message, the promise, all of the stuff that I know, I'm not supposed to keep for myself. I'm supposed to give it to other faithful people who want to grow in their relationship with God so that they can learn it and soak it in their heart and then turn around and give it to somebody else who can do the same thing and give it to somebody else. That's what this passage 
message is about. Generationally, these guys looked ahead at the promise and they took the promise of God and they said, look, I know he's going to do it. I'll give it to you because he's coming. And the next generation said, I know he's going to do it, so I'll give it to you because he's coming. And the next generation said, I know he's going to do it, so I'm going to give it to you because he's coming. And that's us. Jesus Christ saved me (laughs) wonderfully. He changes me. He's real to me. And I want to give that to you. Why? Because the promises are mine and they're real. And God has promised me a home with him for eternity. And I want you to have that too. I don't want to have it myself. I want you to have it too. So I want to give it to you. But I don't want it to stay with you. I'm sorry. I want you to give it away. Give it away. Give it to your kids. Give it to your grandkids. Give it to your neighbor. Give the promise of God away. Don't keep it for yourself. This is one of those promises that's not meant to be a secret. He never says that anywhere in Scripture. He just tells us, look, accept the promise. Accept the truth of who I am. Accept my love and my grace and my mercy and give it away to the next generation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, put it this way. Therefore, do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Believer, is your inner person being renewed by Jesus Christ and his spirit? Are you letting him do that to you? For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This passage of scripture this morning for me says this, and I hope it does for you too, says this, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're Christ followers, but you gave up. You've just been going through the motions. It's not real. Don't give up. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're just biding your time. You're like, the world's falling apart. Hopefully God comes back tomorrow and we don't have to do anything. That'd be great. He didn't tell you to do that. world's been falling apart since Adam and Eve sinned. Did you realize that? You think it's bad now? You should have lived during the time of the judges. It was even worse. And God never told us to give up. He said, keep going. Don't give up. Keep looking in the distance. Know the promise and aim for it and give it away. Believer, are you giving it away or have you given up? Don't get weary. Don't stop. Keep following God. Father, would you grant us the grace and the strength to say yes to you this week? Would you help us as Christ followers to allow the Spirit of God to direct us to keep our eyes on eternity, but to live out Jesus Christ each and every day right here with the people you bring us to. 
Oh God, would this community see Christ in us? Help us to make a difference here. Help us to pass our faith on generationally. Help us to be willing to share the truth of Jesus Christ to our family, to our grandkids, to those that live near us. God, help us not to get weary this week. Grant us the strength to follow you and live for you. Father, if there's some here this morning that don't have a relationship with you and they don't have their eyes in the distance on you, God, would you by your spirit draw them to your son, Jesus Christ. Help them to know and experience the love that you have for them. In Christ's precious name we pray.